All right, welcome in episode 145 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Chardon. National Championship Review episode. The dogs are back-to-back champs, and we're going to get to all of it shortly. But first, Coach's Corner, our title sponsor here on HGP. Now for a third year, Coach's Corner sponsoring us, so we want you guys to go support them. 3016 East Victory Drive, www.coaches.net. Or if you want to call ahead your order, it's 912-352-2933. Go check out Coach's Corner right now for NFL playoff action, NBA every night. Obviously, no more college football, but still plenty, plenty of reasons to get over to Coach's Corner. Check out the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network. It's Rubbin' and Rubbin' with Brandon Bain every Wednesday night. The NASCAR show, you can find that archived on YouTube, Rubbin' and Rubbin' page. Um, also, Carl DeMossi, Saturday mornings, live from Coach's Corner on the Coach's Corner Facebook page and Carl DeMossi's Facebook page, the Carl DeMossi Sports Report. Also on YouTube right there, Carl DeMossi Sports Report. So we got all the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network, 100 billion televisions up there at Coach's Corner. So tell John Henderson, the owner, tell your server or your bartender that the Hot Grits podcast sent you and they will hook it up. Check out Coach's Corner today on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and in person, 3016 East Victory Drive. All right, let's get after it for our 145th time. Hot Grits Podcast. Ain't nobody gonna this I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. Ain't nobody gonna rip like You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, crank his heat or something. Yeah. Right in the face. Punch a little baby right in. We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. Roll out. Come on, You over there. You over there. All right, welcome in episode 145. Uh, Georgia beat the shit out of TCU. 65-7 to in the natty. Georgia finishes off. It's 15-0. Perfect season. Uh, I think they've won 34 out of 35 now. 34 out of their last 35. Um, we're going to get to the game. We're going to talk all about it with Sports Illustrated's Christian Gokel. Um, he's been on the show before, formerly of ESPN Coastal, uh, the editor of Southern Pigskin. Talk all about the game. We're going to talk about what's next for Georgia. But I wanted to first touch on some off-the-field type stuff, some broadcast type stuff, before we get um, into sort of the X's and O's. There's not a lot you can get to, right, from a 65-7 to game. I mean, I don't know how many takeaways you can really have. Uh, For me, the domination was was evident early on. Like in the first few minutes, it did feel a lot like Georgia was going to run away with this thing. Um, and, and for me, I thought it was a lot like Georgia's game against Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl in 2007 against Colt Brennan in Hawaii. Um, Matt Stafford and Georgia just punished, punished Hawaii. Um, and it felt a lot like that against TCU. TCU's quarterback, uh, number 15, Heisman finalist, uh, and he was shut down. Colt Brennan, number 15, Heisman finalist, and he was shut down by Georgia. Um, Matt Stafford at the game last night as the honorary captain for Georgia. He was the quarterback in that game uh, for Georgia against Hawaii. 
So let's start there. Stafford and Tomlinson were the captains. I first wanted to touch on Herschel Walker, like him being an honorary captain and things of that nature. I get why Matt Stafford was the honorary captain, right? It was in Los Angeles, his home stadium for his NFL team. But for me, it's like that's the kind of thing Herschel Walker is not going to be involved in anymore. After running for political office, like he, you'll notice that he's not around the program in a public-facing manner. And, and I knew that was going to happen when he ran for office and when he said and did some of the things that he did. You sort of get cut off. We saw a lot of Vince Dooley. Okay, we saw a lot of Matt Stafford, a lot of former players, but, but you didn't see Herschel Walker, who was arguably, you know, maybe aside from Stetson Bennett now, arguably the greatest player in Georgia's history. So I thought that was interesting. The commercials in these games are getting absolutely out of hand. There was a time in the second quarter where Georgia scores a touchdown. The broadcast goes to a commercial. They come back for the kickoff. And then they go back to a commercial. And then when they cut back in, it's oftentimes like as the snap is happening, as the next snap is happening, like they are pushing this thing to the absolute limit with these commercials. And they're going to continue to do so. They're going to push the envelope with these commercials. Every single time there's a review of a play, like an instant replay review, they go to commercial. We don't get to sit there and watch 12 different replays. It's, it's, it's really getting out of hand. And it really hurts the product, especially when the game's out of hand like it is. Like you, you have no reason to stick around unless you're a diehard Georgia fan or a diehard TCU fan. If you, if you had any sort of bet in the game last night, that would, none of the bets were ever in question. Georgia's ability to cover, 13.5, never in question. The over, never in question. If you took TCU plus 13.5, that was never in question. You were never going to get that back. So there was really no reason to stick around, and the commercials don't do it any favors. Um, what else from the broadcast? I thought it was funny that... Poor Molly McGrath, she's on the sidelines for TCU, and TCU just does nothing the entire game. So she gets no shine on the broadcast. Most people didn't even know Molly McGrath was the sideline reporter for TCU. Holly Rowe, meanwhile, killing the game. Holly Rowe on Georgia's sideline just absolutely dominating the broadcast uh, because Hell, she was the only one that could report on anything because what was there to report on for TCU? Nothing. So, thought that was funny. Um, one note from Holly Rowe about Lad McConkey's pain shot that he takes a, a shot for pain before the game. So, that's why they want to get him involved early because the pain shot wears off. I thought that was awkward as hell. I thought that was really awkward, especially in light of the, you know, everything that's happened in football in the NFL the last week or so, like with DeMar Hamlin. It's awkward to say, okay, George is just shooting up a player so he can avoid the pain, and then they're going to feed him the rock while he's numb. That was weird to me. And also, can't you just get another shot at halftime if, it, if the thing's starting to wear off? Like, are they really getting him the ball early because... 
they think the shot for pain is going to wear off. I don't know about that one, Holly Rowe. Um, the cameras on the ref's hats, tough look. Not a great look. Not a great look for the ACC crew. The things were clunky. I don't think we saw many of, uh, of the angles. Like, if you're going to wear a clunky camera on top of your hat, at least show us some of, the, some of that video. Otherwise, what the hell is the point of wearing it? That was the first, I mean, I don't know if that's the first time they've done that. That's the first time I've noticed it, though, for sure. Um, have you ever heard Kirk Herbstreet speechless? I mean, Georgia left Kirk Herbstreet absolutely speechless. And he said it. He goes, I'm speechless. That's what happens when you have more kickoffs. Georgia had more kickoffs, 11, than TCU had first downs, 9. That's what happens when you hold the ball in the second quarter for 11 minutes and 8 seconds, and TCU had the ball for 3 minutes and 50 seconds. Just an absolute annihilation, and it left Kirk Herbstreet speechless. He kept saying, I don't really know what to say. You don't have to say anything, Kirk. Just sit there and look pretty, my man. Uh, what about the halftime conversation about UGA's, quote, legacy? About the dynasty conversation while Nick Saban is sitting up there having to listen to it all? That was so great. That was so great. I, I thought it was weird that, that Saban would sign up for that. What's the benefit? Because, look, Nick Saban was not on that broadcast for the money. I don't care what anyone says. Okay, he doesn't need the money. Everything Nick Saban does has an angle, and usually it's a recruiting angle. What was his recruiting angle for being on national TV last night while Georgia was dominating in the national championship, largely with sophomores and juniors and freshmen? David Pollock said it right to his dome. Georgia's got a bunch of young players coming back. I couldn't imagine Kirby Smart being on the set if Alabama was matching up against TCU in a national title game. I just don't understand what the benefit was for Nick Saban being there. And that's why he's there is to provide some sort of benefit. Like it, I, I don't know what his angle was, but... I'd have to imagine that he was regretting it by the time it was 38-7 to 7 at halftime. So that was just hilarious that Nick Saban was involved in all of it while it's going down. Um, okay, that's all I really have um, for off-the-field stuff. We're going to get to my conversation with Christian Gokel to break down the game entirely and also look ahead to what's next for Georgia, where they go from here, including the transfer portal but first I want to tell you guys about John Carr the number one realtor in the world John Carr 912-228-0916 912-228-0916 call or text him today if you have real estate questions if you want to sell or buy real estate in the Savannah area John Carr at Seaport Real Estate is your man give him a call or shoot him a text today 912-228-0916 Okay, um, we're going to get to my conversation with Christian Gokel now. All right, we got Christian Gokel with us now, the editor of Southern Pigskin, also a writer covering UGA for SI's dog 
Daily, Dogs Daily by Sports Illustrated. Uh, Christian, thank you for joining us uh, the day after Georgia demolished TCU. Yeah, man, it's good to be here. I'm still uh, trying to wrap my head around all the records we saw fall last night, but uh, definitely a more enjoyable experience writing about a win than a loss. So what were your thoughts like as you're watching the game early on? Because I know like you're probably watching it in a similar way as me. Like you're probably looking for some sort of angle, some sort of take. But in a game like that, it's hard, right? So like, what were your thoughts early on watching the game? Did it look to you uh, like it was going to be as lopsided as it ended up being? I thought Georgia played their best ball. And we've seen it before in the season, but I thought they played their best game when they needed it the most. And we've seen that Georgia is the best team in the country and nobody's close at like multiple points in the season. We saw a season opener where they scored seven touchdowns on seven possessions uh, against Oregon to start that one. Uh, we saw it in the first half against Tennessee where Tennessee came in as the number one ranked team uh, in the first college football playoff rankings of the season, fresh off beating Alabama. So we, we've seen this level, I guess, of lethal play from Georgia, but We've also seen kind of the opposite end of it where they kind of play with their food a little bit and can get in danger. Uh, but, yeah, I just – I thought what we saw is this football team at its best. It was Todd Munkin in his bag. It was Stetson Bennett just absolutely throwing dimes. And then it was the defensive staff coming up with a good game plan and just freaks out there athletically for Georgia, absolutely shutting down TCU. So I, I just think on the biggest stage, you got to see Georgia at their best, which is what you should see inside of a national championship. And I don't – care really who you put into that game i don't know it's probably not a 58 point spread but if you put an alabama ohio state michigan any of those teams in there i don't know that it's a much different result okay yeah because that kind of leads me into the next question is if tc like tcu played i think poorly by their standards regardless of how georgia played but even if tcu were were to have shown up and played their a plus football game if georgia played like that the spread would have been how large you think? Like, I, I, how close could TCU have been had they played their best football game? I guess if we're saying like the defense doesn't show up like it did, and, and TCU shows up a little bit better offensively, uh, like maybe like a, similar to the SEC championship, like a fifty to thirty game, but still where Georgia's just keeping them at arm's reach. Like it's just when Georgia is playing their best on offense, it puts so much pressure on the other team defensively uh, or offensively, excuse me, to to try to make plays. I think that's what we saw is Max Duggan was pressing all night. They didn't really ever try to establish a run game, which you're not going to run the football against Georgia. Ohio State did a little bit, but it was mostly C.J. Stroud on pass plays, uh, scrambling when Georgia was in man uh, and able to get downfield on some scrambles. Nobody was able to run against Georgia. And in TCU's biggest games this year where they had won, uh, they were running for 200, 250 yards in those games. And that just wasn't going to happen. So, if TCU had done what they'd done all year, which is just hit massive plays and hit some busted coverages, yeah, maybe similar to what we saw from LSU, but no, nowhere close. Because I'm trying to put this in perspective here for because we're only a day out of this happening and and the lopsided 65 to seven score, uh, Georgia outgained them 589 to 188. Uh, I mean, which is just wild to think about. Yeah. Does that does the lopsided score and the lopsided game? Do you think that hurts the 2022 Georgia team's legacy? Like, does that hurt their legacy at all? Does it make it seem 
sort of like, oh, if, you know, they didn't like TCU wasn't up to the challenge. I'd say yes, if they hadn't played that semifinal against Ohio State. Like, I felt like the two best teams in the country are Georgia and Ohio State. And I know Ohio State, I guess the overarching thought is every single year, you're going to have that one game where it's just like, oh, God, like, we're not doing anything right on one side of the ball and the other side has to pull it out. And for a lot of teams, they don't end up pulling it out. Like, Alabama – has never gone 15 0. I think they've been undefeated once inside of a Nick Saban national championship. So there's just, it's a long season and there's a lot of really good football teams. So there's always going to be that one game where you feel like you just, the gods are against you and you're going to lose that game. Georgia had that against Ohio State and they were still able to pull it out there and win that football game. So I think that really is the game when fans are thinking about this season four or five years from now that they're going to think about. I think it's going to be the Tennessee game where Georgia just absolutely shut down the number one offense in college football. And then it's going to be the Ohio State game where when everything was going against you, you still somehow found a way to pull it out. I know, I yeah, TCU didn't even feel like a game. It felt more like a coronation. So it's I don't know that it takes away from it just because you had that massive game against Ohio State. That was an all-timer. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, yeah, like looking back, thankfully Georgia had to go through someone like Ohio State first because I, th- I do think that validates it. A little bit because, like, I, I think it's pretty obvious now that's their best win of the season. Georgia's best win was Ohio State, and it's not really all that close. All right, like, we can't do a lot from a 65-7 to seven game, Christian, so let's kind of go big picture here. Um, listen, you've been on Stetson Bennett's bandwagon. You were early. You were early on the Stetson Bennett bandwagon. I'll throw a hand up. Uh, I was one of the JT Daniels stands. Um, and I regret that one of my biggest uh, one of my biggest blemishes uh, of late. But Stetson Bennett's legacy now, like there's going to be columns written, there'll be thousands of words written about his legacy. But for you, like right now, what what is Stetson Bennett's legacy at Georgia, and, and kind of where does he stack up all time? Well, I want to give you some credit, first of all. Like, you, you weren't the only person. Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin have admitted multiple times that they tried to bury Stetson Bennett. So it's not it's not like you were I, out here being a hater. Like, no, nobody believed in Stetson Bennett. I'll put my hand up. Back in 2020 in the first game against Arkansas, one of my buddies uh, was like, oh, here comes the mailman. And I said, uh, I don't know how graphic this podcast is, but I like in the text I said, George is bleeped of Stetson Bennett's their starting quarterback. And, no, uh, you can say it. Georgia's fucked if Stetson Bennett's their yeah, starting like, quarterback. Yeah, that was a text message. Georgia's fucked if Stetson <laughs> Bennett's their starting quarterback. But that was in 2020, right? And I think going back and watching his play in that, it was true. Like, And I, I was putting the reference for that one as a caveat into the 2020 season, which is you, you weren't going to win a national championship in 2020 with that version of Stetson Bennett as your quarterback. But I think in that season, I'll even point to the Florida game, where it's just I know you end up getting absolutely run in that game. But at the start of that, you go up 14 nothing really quick, and Stetson Bennett was throwing dimes. So it's like you saw the athleticism from him. You saw that he brought something to that team that not a lot of people uh, had at the quarterback position for Georgia, which is the ability to extend plays. And Tom Munkins talked about that after the national championship. His just athletic ability uh, is a big proponent inside of this offense. There was that zero blitz that TCU came with where he just spun out of it against their best defender there, Devin White and was able to pick up a 12-yard first down. We've seen all the highlights of him. I think, what, he became uh, the first quarterback 
uh, to score a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown in a game since Vince Young. So, like, you had Vince Young instead of Bennett <laughs> in the same kind of stat category. But uh, overarchingly, I think he is the greatest Georgia Bulldog of all time. Um, I know everybody always points to Herschel Walker, and I, I think that's really fair. Herschel took him to two uh, national championships, and they lost one, one, one. He won a Heisman Trophy, and it was just a very different era back then where he was carrying a football team to national championships by himself. I mean, Buck Ballou completed one pass in the 1980 national championship. It was literally all Herschel Walker, and Georgia has so much talent around Stetson Bennett, but his level of play this year, I think you could say that more about last year, was the defense kind of carried the team and kind of held serve until the offense could come around uh, and put up some points. Whereas this year, it was it was the offense. That's been the first Georgia quarterback to ever throw for 4,000 yards. But just being the most important position in the ultimate team sport and, and leading your team to back-to-back national championships, I think that puts them up there. Uh, I, I'd say, like, maybe David Pollock has an argument, too, uh, just because, if one, if there's a college football playoff back then, Georgia's certainly in it, at least in 2002. And then he is a three-time unanimous All-American uh, at the defensive end position. So I'd say David Pollock's up there too, but I, I think right now you, you got to start thinking about building a statue of Stetson Bennett and Kirby Smart said it. He's the greatest dog of all time. See, okay, I, I do think that Herschel Walker, like his, the chances of him being put alongside Stetson Bennett, like it is different now that Herschel Walker ran for a political office and was, you know, pretty radical in some of his political stances. Like that's going to affect his relationship with the University of Georgia. I don't think anyone can really argue that. But if if his number is retired, like the number 13, Stetson Bennett, that's got to be retired, right? Like regardless of statue or naming things after him, retiring the number 13 has to come soon, right? I think either retiring it or making it like number seven at LSU where it's like or 18 at LSU where it's like it's the captain's number or it's like the Ooh, I like that the under the underdog the underdog's number like the best walk-ons number something like that where it's just you have to earn that number but yeah I, I certainly think something needs to happen to recognize him because just I I know it's hyperbolic and I know it's really fresh right now but Honest to God, it's, it's got to be one of the top five just college football arts slash stories uh, in the history of the sport. So, yeah, something's got to happen. Yeah, it really does. And, like, people early on, I felt like were comparing Stetson's journey uh, to to um, to Baker Mayfield's. And really, it's, it's surpassed that tremendously because Mayfield became the number one overall pick in the draft and, and was, like, you know, a preseason – Heisman favorite by the time he reached his senior season at, or his last season at Oklahoma. This is radically different because this is a guy that went to junior college, then had to come back, and then still wasn't considered the starting quarterback. I mean, I, don't, I can't really think of anything that compares to Stetson Bennett's journey. No, and again, it's just it's the biggest position on the biggest stage inside of college football. And so if you look at Stetson Bennett and – like you mentioned with Baker Mayfield, yeah, he had to walk on and he transferred. But after that, on scholarship, and then he had a couple of years where like people believed in him as one of the best players in college football. Whereas Stetson Bennett wins the national championship, and during the spring game the following year, there's fans clamoring for his backup because Carson Beck has a big day saying, all right, Stetson won it. But, I mean, you see this kid throw the football around, and you have Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton, and all these dudes back there. So, I mean, he won a freaking national championship. 
and you still had fans inside of the fan base. And it's listen, I I understand it from like a visceral perspective, right? It I think Ryan Nanny from the uh, shutdown forecast said it, it looks like you're getting you're getting scorched by a tennis pro, right? It looks like you put Roger Federer in a football uniform and he's just out there stunting on five stars. So it's just it's it's hard for people to kind of just viscerally take in like how is this 170 180 pound dude that has like zero percent body fat just absolutely torching all these future nfl stars and i think the reality is his body type and his height has kind of been the thing that's held him back from getting all of this height that he deserves i mean i'm going back to the sec championship game and i'm watching throws that he's putting into windows that are nfl throws and he did it in the peach bowl when you needed him the most and then against I, I don't know it was, it was like the third quarter where he threw a dig route to Brock Bowers across the middle and he put it over a linebacker between a couple of safeties and the window was maybe a foot and it was 25 yards downfield like the dude has game and that goes back to his time with Sean Pender uh, at Pierce County in, in 3A playing against Richard LeCount uh, at Liberty right the, the dude has game and he's always had game you don't just walk on to Georgia like unless you're a legacy you don't just walk on to Georgia if you're a bad football player and he set all kinds of records in 3A in the state of Georgia. So he's always had game. I just think it's always been his stature that's kind of held him back and literally just how he looks. For more than 20 years, the Prep Sports Report has been delivering local sports coverage and continues to celebrate youth athletes in the Coastal Empire. PSR has daily updates on the outstanding student athletes in our area every day, always free to read. No ads, no subscriptions. Led by our guy, Carl DeMossi, PrepSportsReport.com gives fans and parents easy access to top stories and athletes in the 9-1 deuce. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, um, let's look forward a little bit. We got Christian Gokel with us from Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily at Gokel Sports on Twitter. Um, Christian, the next thing that happens here is we've got to address transfer portal in today's college football world. That's just a fact of the matter. Dudes are going to be leaving. Dudes are going to be coming. So before we get, like talk about you know next year's team and kind of what it looks like, I, there are rumblings as far as A.D. Mitchell goes in the transfer portal. Um, Arian Smith has been you know rumored too. I guess the wide receiver room will have guys coming in going. Are there any guys that you're looking at uh, that you're hearing about as far as the transfer portal goes for Georgia leaving? Well, uh, there was a news today that Ryan Goad, the transfer or the tight end, uh, has entered the transfer portal, and he was Georgia's fourth tight end this year. Uh, and I think that was just kind of a numbers thing. Georgia's uh, already signed two of the top five tight ends uh, in this class, and they potentially could get four out of the top five. They're just waiting on a couple of commitments there. One of them. A uh, kid out of California wouldn't actually come until 2024 because he's a Mormon, so he's going to go off uh, for a year of, uh, of on a mission for a year. Uh, but still, Georgia's got a ton of tight ends coming in, so that one just was just kind of writing on the wall for them. But yeah, I mean, I think the receiver room's interesting because you have guys uh, like Ra Ra Thomas coming in uh, and the kid from Missouri as well. So you have a ton of excellent wide receiver play coming in. Uh, and then the young guys as well. I think Dylan Bell's uh, making a push there a little bit. And I, I think it's kind of understandable because Georgia doesn't really feature wide receivers that much. I mean, even when George Pickens was there, you see what he's been able to do with the Steelers. I mean, unless you talk about the Sugar Bowl where he went off with Jake Fromm in his final game, it, it was pretty much four or five targets a game because they just want to spread the ball out. And they're a very tight end, heavy team. I mean, if I'm Arian Smith and A.D. Mitchell and I'm thinking, hey, I want to play 
one more season of college football and then try to go pro, oh, well, you're going to have to beat out Brock Bowers for targets. That's That math's probably not adding up in your head. So if they are right. thinking about it, that's that's probably the reason why. I'd be surprised if both of those dudes left. Uh, the story with A.D. Mitchell, uh, I don't know how familiar all the listeners are with it, but dude was not recruited highly at all out of high school. He's a three-star out of Tennessee, and he like basically self-recruited and was just like blasting coaches DMs with his tape and just stayed on him, stayed on him, stayed on him. And Georgia was finally the one uh, who looked at it and had the conversation and gave him a scholarship. So uh, you got Lad McConkey coming back for another year. Uh, again, Dylan Bell making a push, a couple of transfers coming in. It might just be conversations with coaches, honestly, saying that, hey, it might be better uh, if you guys take a look elsewhere. But Arian Smith and A.D. Mitchell would surprise me if that was the conversation just because of how unique and elite their skill sets are. Arian Smith's a home run threat and Donnie Mitchell is a true X wide receiver, which is hard to come by. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if those guys take a look elsewhere. But I mean, if, you're, if your goal is going pro and your goal is winning national championships, Georgia set the record for the most draft picks last year and they've won two national championships in a row. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get much better. Yeah, I don't know that the selling point could get could get much better for sure. Um, uh, a guy specifically, what, what, what do you think about Warren McClendon? What do you think about his chances of coming back or leaving? I think he should go because I think he's going to be a second or third round draft pick. I mean, the dude has all of the skill sets mm-hmm. that you need. He's maybe a little bit undersized uh, for an offensive tackle in NFL, but I think he could certainly kick inside to a guard. But I also think he could play tackle in the NFL. I think he's been one of the more underrated uh, players for Georgia during this run. Over the past three seasons, he started the most games uh, for Georgia out of anyone on the roster. And he's been just a black hole at right tackle and he's fought off like think about the five stars uh, that he's kept on the bench uh six four 300 pounds but he's just technically perfect basically at the, at the collegiate level i mean his, his steps uh the way he uses his hands and then just his aggression in the run game uh, i think he's going to be a top pick so uh just with the amount of usage he's already gotten in college i think it would probably behoove him to go ahead and make the jump to the next level, but he, he's a Georgia dude uh, and he's been one of the leaders on this football team. So it wouldn't surprise me if he came back, but uh, I think he should probably make the jump. All right, Christian, two more for you. Um, Todd Munkin really, I don't think enough can be said about, you know, how excellent he has been and especially alongside Stetson Bennett. I know the broadcast um, on the game Monday night was talking about how they sort of think the same way Bennett and Munkin, um, you know, real analytical minds. But whatever kind of mind Munkin has, it's a great one in terms of putting up points on the scoreboard. What Do you think Georgia has to be worried about Todd Munkin leaving? Because it's not like, you know, th- he's not an up-and-coming young guy, like a flashy offensive mind. He's been around the block. Um, and so that's why I think that Georgia has a good chance of retaining him. But, I mean, is that something Georgia should be worried about, losing Todd Munkin? I mean, I think you're concerned about it, especially since I think the heir apparent was Buster Faulkner, uh, who was an analyst that Munkin brought with him from Southern Miss. I uh, had been working with the quarterbacks. It was kind of his right-hand man. He's now the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech for Brent Key. Uh, so I, I think if there is any concern, it's that you don't have that heir apparent. But that being said, I mean, Todd Munkin's making $2 million a year. He's probably uh, in line for a raise uh, after another national championship and just how historic that offense was. And look, Georgia can afford it. You're about to get another TV extension there uh, with ESPN. They're about to start dropping more money uh, there for the SEC payouts. You just played in the college football playoff, which is big payouts, and then all the freaking merch 
uh, that school's about to sell uh, from national championships and the Peach Bowl and the SEC championship and all that. So I think Munkin gets a boost. I don't know how concerned I would be uh, that he's going to leave, but if he does leave, that is a massive blow because the dude, in my opinion, is the best offensive coordinator in college football. I haven't seen anybody as creative as him, and it's it's kind of the death star, right? You get him all of these five-star uh, recruits and you sprinkle in some guys that you develop three stars like Stetson Bennett, Ladd McConkey, and A.D. Mitchell. And it's just been unbelievable. And I, I think really it starts up front with the offensive line. I don't know that that gets talked about enough, just the maulers they have up there. But yeah, Todd Munkin is just a freak when it comes to designing plays. And I, I think he's pretty comfortable there in Athens. I think he's what, 56, 57 years old, making $2 million a year, probably in line for a raise after that and he doesn't have the responsibility of being the head coach he doesn't have to do all of the press conferences so i, I think yeah. he probably hangs out and keeps collecting checks but we'll see all right christian last one this is going to be i think the question of the offseason for georgia we got to address the quarterback room um for you like handicapping what's next for georgia at the quarterback position i guess beck would i mean do we consider beck the front runner yeah, I'd say there's probably like a 75% chance that Carson Beck's your quarterback next year. I mean, he will have waited three years uh, for that opportunity. And listen, the dude's a freak. Um, I forget the name of his high school, but he, he was in Florida and then transferred to a high school in Jacksonville. And they went from an under 500 team to winning uh, the 6A state championship in Florida. So, like, that's just the kind of impact that he had when he transferred there. And he, he's got all the talent. He's huge. and He's got a cannon for arm. We kind of saw that last night. They're in mop-up duty in the SEC championship, but also he's had those years to develop with Todd Munkin. I think potentially you could get a push from Brock Vandegrift because Brock Vandegrift kind of has a little bit more mobility uh, than Beck. And same story there with Gunnar Stockton, but uh, I think the interesting thought is going to be if it seems clear that Beck's going to be the guy, does Vandegrift decide to make a move? I think Stockton's pretty comfortable. He's just a freshman this year. Uh, biding his time and waiting his turn. Because, I mean, if Beck has a big season next year, goes for 4,000 yards like Bennett did, uh, he's probably off to the NFL. But, yeah, I think odds are right now that Carson Beck should start in quarterback uh, next year. But you do think that that matters, like, as far as – I think Kirby Smart's going to have to say publicly that this is an open quarterback position if, if – Oh, a thousand percent. If he wants to keep Vandegrift around. But, I, you know, I don't know that, like, Kirby Smart's too concerned with – with keeping guys like that around because he's shown in the past, like, you know, if you want to leave, then go ahead and go. Like he, he didn't try to make Justin Fields happy or try to appease him in order to keep him around. I, you know, I don't know how big of a concern that is for Kirby. No. And, and they've spoken about it before. They, they're not overly concerned about trying to keep guys there who don't want to be there. But yeah, I, I think it's just, I, I think it's a numbers thing. I don't think, Smart's going to have any kind of hard feelings if it looks like you go into camp and, and Beck's just the guy and there's not going to be a turn for Vandegrift. And it's just a number thing. You only have so many years of football that you can play and so many red shirts that you can take before you have to move on. So I, obviously Vandegrift's going to want to play at some point. But uh, yeah, I mean, even this year when Bennett came back, he, he went in and had the conversation with Smart about whether or not he should come back. And he said, yeah, I mean, I, I think you should come back. But if you do, it's still going to be a competition. That's just it's the one thing at Georgia is there's always a competition regardless of position. So, uh, yeah, this this camp's going to be interesting. It's going to be the first time in a couple of years uh, where you've had that conversation going back to uh, JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett. But I think the reality is going to be it's going to be Beck's spot because I think Kirby Smart kind of saw the benefit 
of a guy having a full offseason as the number one quarterback, allowing uh, offensive coordinator there, Tom Munkin, to design plays around him and not have to do it for two different guys with different skill sets, but also allowing that guy to get all the reps with the ones. Uh, I think that decision is probably made pretty early in camp. Uh, and I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if a guy moved on, but also I wouldn't be surprised if they stuck around because, I mean, anywhere you go is technically a downgrade uh, from Georgia. So, like, do they maybe just stick around and say, hey, I'll battle it out next year and try to get my one or two years as a starter? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. All right, there he is, Christian Gokel, editor of Southern Pigskin, writer for Sports Illustrated Dogs Daily. You can find him on Twitter, at Gokel Sports. It's G-O-E-C-K-E-L. Christian, thanks a lot, man. Thank you, sir. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA, is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, 
and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282.